let's let's go ahead and 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 just jump into this idea of the Lord's will. Let's let's just read the Lord's prayer here, Matthew chapter six, uh, beginning in verse nine. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word, and we'll uh, we'll ask that He would teach us from it. Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we ask today that your will would be done. Rejoicing uh, that it is being done, that it has always been done and will be done in all of us forever. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week we talked about the, the will of God being done, this prayer, uh, your will be done. And we saw how God's will is being done, how the will of God is done. That when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can have confidence uh, that that prayer uh, is going to be answered, has already been answered before we even prayed it is being answered right now because God's will has always been done it's what makes him God it's true in heaven and on earth there is nothing that happens outside the will of God and we saw that the perfect example of this ultimate example of this is at the most heinous event in human history uh, the cross of Christ uh, man's greatest sin happened by not just God's plan but God's hand uh, and we saw how that's meant to give us confidence for what we're going through, how it gave the early Christians boldness that God's will is being done. And, and that can give us confidence uh, that we're not just praying one day. It's sort of like right now, God's will is just not done, but one day it will be. God's will has is always been done, is being done, and will uh, be done. And so we, we're talking, though, about how these prayers are, have this all, always already an advancing aspect to them. Um, so, so if God's will is always done, then how are we praying for the advancement of God's will? How are we praying that this would be more true, that his will would be done? In what way, when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in what way are we praying for his will being done to increase? What does the Bible tell, talk to us and tell us about that? Well, there is a time, the Bible tells us, that God's will will not just be done by him, but will be done by all. And so that's what we're going to look at to start out. The first thing we're going to see is that God's will will eventually be done by everybody. Now, you and I, we cannot stop the will of God, but we can stand against it. Specifically, we can resist God's will that he's laid out for his creatures. Think about it this way. God says, I want you to live like this. And we say, no. I mean, mankind's been doing that since the beginning. Don't, I, don't eat of this tree. We eat of the tree, 
right? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth for my glory. We decide not to do that and stay in one place and build a tower for our glory. So from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, mankind has been resisting, even rebelling against God's revealed will, what he wants from us in how we are to live, how he made us to live, how we're crafted to live. But there will come a time, and this is what we're praying for, there will come a time when the whole world, every creation, every creature, is going to be doing the will of God. Freely, happily, without any constraint upon them. Uh, we see this, for example, we looked at this in Second Peter chapter 3. So when we're praying, your will be done, and we're, we're, we're knowing, okay, that's, his will has always been done. We saw that his will is being done now on heaven and on earth. We saw that in Scripture. Well, how are we praying for this to advance? How is this an ask? How is this the advancing of his will? Well, there's going to come a time when God's will is going to be done by all. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That there will be a day when righteousness, when rightness, I mean, that's the doing of God's will, justice, when that will be done by everyone and everything. So praying for God's will to be done is praying for that day to be here, for that day to continue to advance, knowing again that it is coming, like Peter said, because this is all based on a promise that God is coming. We know that this is God's will, that that is going to come. It is going to happen, but we are praying that that will would increase, that, that because he has willed it, uh, we know this will is going to be done. He promised it. It is going to happen. We're just desiring for that day to be here. We're desiring for that day when everyone and everything is giving themselves to the will of the Lord. Not resisting in any way, but, but loving the will of God. But even this delayed fulfillment as we wait. Even this delayed fulfillment where it's not the new heavens and the earth. And righteousness isn't dwelling everywhere in everything and everyone. Even that delay is God's will. So when we're praying your will be done, we know part of that will being done is that his will is not being done yet. It's that waiting, that fulfillment of his will to be done. It's that fulfillment of, of a time when everyone is going. But we see this in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 20 through 23. Look at what it tells us about the expectation for the day and praying for that day, knowing that it's not here because God has not willed it to be here yet. But one day it will be here. So Romans 8, 20 through 23. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, at least not by their will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So, so here Paul is saying creation, its will was not to be subjected to disruly humanity, right? That was not the will of creation to be subjected to this utility, but it was the will of God to subject his creation to it. Because why? Because Paul says it was God's will to redeem a fallen humanity and in that to set creation free from the bondage that he subjected it to. And we groan. And we groan with creation. That groan is, there's a, that's a prayerful groan. We long for this to be over. We long for that day to come where there is no more futility, where we're not subjected to any corruption. We long for that. The rebellious world we live in is God's will, but it is also God's will that his will advance until all of creation and every one of his creatures does his will forever. That's also the will of God. And so for that, we groan, Paul says. We, we pray, like, like Jesus says, we pray your will be done. That is our groaning. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we're talking about how is, how is God's will going to advance? We know that God's will has always been done. We know it is being done. How can we then pray that his will advance? Well, one day it will be done by all. There will be no one, no thing in all of creation that is even resisting the will of God. But rather everyone and everything is living in righteousness, in redemption, uh, in the glory of the Lord. So the question is, well, how does that happen? How is that going to happen? How's that going to get her? But how do we see, and how do we see that working out now? Well, we see this working out in God's people, in you and I. God's will is advancing on earth through his people. And we, again, we can see it in ourselves, right? We can see the will of God advancing in the fact that we were once people who did not do his will. And now what are we? We are people who are doing his will, who are longing for his will and not resisting his will. To steal the the type of words that that the book of Acts is going to use, we have been added to that number, right? And there were 3,000 souls added to that number. We have been added to that kingdom. The kingdom has expanded in us, in our own lives. We can see the advancement of this. Some of you, you can look back and your families have not been believing families that can trace themselves all the way back to the family of Abraham, right? Uh, there were generations that had no desire to live for the will of God. And yet here you are desiring to live for his will and raising children and their children's children to desire to live for his will to a, to a thousand generations. That's the advancement of the will of God that you can see. So even as we're praying it, we can see it happening where? In us. I mean, it was, you go back just a few hundred years and there was not a single believer living on this soil. Not a single person in this land who wasn't a pagan. Unless you, follow, unless you like take up the Book of Mormon and then you got all sorts of other problems. Uh, but otherwise, there was no gospel here. And yet today, 
We are sitting here, multiple families who have gathered together in one of the places in this city to worship the Lord God. People who are desiring to do his will. And that progress is intentional. It's intentional by the Lord. Now, how does God do this? How does God advance his will in his people? Well, God equips us to do his will. So how does God, how does God uh, uh, advance his will? How does he uh, uh, do this? He equips us to do his will. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. So we've got the the will of God, you and I now, uh, we pray your will be done and we need to look inwardly and recognize part of that is I want to do your will. So when we're praying your will be done, we're not just looking out there, although we are looking out there, but we realize one of the ways God does that is by you and I doing his will. So how can we do his will? How is God's will going to advance through his people, well, God equips his people to do his will. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, what? That you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here the author of Hebrews says, look, God equips us with everything good. So God gives us everything. God has given you every good thing. But why has God given you? Why has he equipped you with everything good? For what purpose has God given you every good thing that you have? What is the purpose of all of it? What is the purpose of every gift and blessing you can think of? That you might do his will. That you might do his will in your jobs. That you might do his will in your children. That you might do his will in the homes you have. That you might do his will with every single blessing that you've got. Everything God has given you and equipped you with. What is the purpose of all of it? I want to use this for his will. He's given it to me for that purpose, God, that, that we might do his will. And again, God doesn't hide his will from us. He reveals it and then gives us all that we need to do it. He's saying here, God doesn't equip us and then say, I've given you everything. Now see if you can figure out what my will is. He, we know what his will is. And then he equips us to be able to do his will. God equips us with all that we need to do his will. But but God is not merely equipping us and then patting us on the back. What does it say? He says, through Christ, God is the one working these things in us. So this is the great thing about God's will always being done. Because you might look at your life and say, well... The doing of his will, I am not doing so well at. Uh, well, one of the great things about God's irresistible will is his will is that his children that he has equipped to do his will will do his will. And so what does he say? Through Christ, he works these things in us. So he equips us with everything good that we might do his will. And then he works in us. That which is pleasing in his sight. 
through Christ Jesus. So again, God is not merely equipping us as his people. He is the one working his will in us. I mean, it would be, there'd be no reason for us to give ourselves too much of a pat on the back if God was the one who equipped us. So like if God gave us his will and then equipped us and we did his will, it'd be hard to be like, yeah, I'm great. Everyone could say, oh, well, you, God gave you everything you needed to do that. He's the one who really deserves praise. But God takes it even further. Not only is he the one who equips us with all of it, he's the one who then works it in us, right? So God gets the, I mean, any, any pride is totally ripped out from under our feet because God not only equips us, he then works it in us. So we do, God's people do his will because God equips us to do his will. And because he works his will in us. So how is God's kingdom going to advance in people like us? Well, God is going to equip you to do his will. He's going to give you everything you need. And before you get discouraged and say, well, I'm not very good with the equipment he's given me. uh, He is the one who is going to work this out in you as well. And what promise do you have in that? Jesus Christ. He's going to do it through Christ. How can you be certain he's going to do this? Are you in Christ? Yes. Then he's going to do it. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 16 and 17 says this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So here again, we've got God comforting us. We've got God comforting. What is his will for us? His, this hope through grace, the grace that he does these things. But what does he do? He gives us his comfort of God's will. My will is that I would have grace on you, that I would save you. This is our comfort. This is our hope. But then what does he tell us to do? Okay, now get to work. Now get to work. The God who has done this, who's given you his grace, who has comforted you in this, comforting your hearts, and then he's establishing you in every good work and word. And notice again, he is the one who establishes us in every work and word. God not only gives us his will, he not only tells us, this is my will for your life, he then makes us to stand in his will. And again, notice, not just some of it, but what? But in every work and word. So as we're praying, God, your will be done. This is the confidence we can have that as we're not seeing this yet in our lives, we're seeing the struggles that we've got. We're seeing the things that need to be changed in us. We're seeing the wills of God that we know I'm supposed to live like this as a husband. I'm supposed to be this as a mother. I'm supposed to be this as a friend. And we're looking and we're going, oh, I'm not those things yet. What confidence can we have? Not in us, but in him who promises. I will equip you. I have equipped you. And you're looking like, yeah, you've equipped me. I know the verses. I know what I'm supposed to do. You've given me everything that I need. But what is your confidence? Your confidence is, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is that? For me to do what I've seen you tell me to do. Well, how's that going to happen? He's going to work it in us. He will establish you in every work and word. He will. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
We've looked at this again, this, this verse about God's will. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and Godwardness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So here again, we see, we've looked at this before, God's will is not hidden. But why though? Why is God's will not hidden? Why has he given us everything that we need for life and Godwardness. The same thing that we saw in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's, it's been revealed to us. He's given us everything we need for life and Godwardness so that we might what? So that we might do it. But notice the, the word used here. God has granted to us all these things. If you remember when we talked about this in Peter, this is the word for gifting or grace. That God has, has gifted us these things. We know everything we need for life. We know everything we need for Godwardness because God is the one who has granted us those things. And then when we go back and read what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, we know that everything we've just read about life and Godwardness, he's going to establish us in. So we have confidence then in the will of God advancing in our own lives. Because what? He is the one who teaches us these things, as we're going to get in in just a second. He's the one who's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's the one who lays it all before us, lets us see it, and then he's the one who does it in us. And that's our confidence. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How are we praying for that will to advance? You can look at your life and say that God's will will advance in your life. Why? Because God wills for it to advance in his people. God will equip you, he will establish you, he will work it in you. He's given everything you need, gifted it to you for what purpose? So that you might walk in it. So how does God do that? God equips us, but how? What does that look like? What does it look like for God to equip us as his people? How has God equipped us? We've seen that God reveals his will. We've seen he reveals his will in his word. We see that he's revealed his will in Christ But how does God equip us to then do what we see? Is this just like you look at a picture and it's like some sort of weird Christian Rorschach test? Like, what do you see? I see Jesus. All right, do that. I don't. How do I do that? You know, what does it look like for God if he equips us by giving us his word, showing us Christ? How does God equip us to then be obedient to what we've seen? How does God equip us to do what we know we're supposed to do. Let's see what scripture tells us. There's a few things. We're going to be a lot in Psalm 119. Uh, if you know me, you know I love Psalm 119. But it's just a really good place that also has a lot of good stuff about what is God going to do to get us to actually do what we see and what we know we're supposed to do. So how is God going to advance in our lives the doing of his will? Well, the first thing we're going to look at, the first verse actually won't be from Psalm 119, but then the rest of them will. Uh, is that God teaches us. So God equips us. How does God equip us? He teaches us what his will is. He teaches us his word. He teaches us about Christ. Again, this is not some new idea. The Bible has always been clear that if we're going to do God's will, then it's only going to happen because God has taught his will to us. So Psalm 143 verse 10, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me. 
on level ground. So we, we need God to be God to us. And that means we need him to teach us his will. If you and I are going to do the will of God, if God's will is going to be done in us, if it's going to advance in our lives, we're praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that's done always. We know it's done already. And now we're praying for the advancement of that will. What is that going to, how's that going to happen? We need God to teach us what his will is. We need his spirit to lead us in it. Psalm 119 verse 12 says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. If you are going to be able to do, then God equips us not just by, by giving us his will, but by, but by teaching it to us. And again, this isn't, this isn't the psalmist saying, you know, that there's a, it's not like the psalmist didn't have the statutes of the Lord here. The psalmist could see them. He could read them. It wasn't a matter of of being able to to just get them in that way. He wanted to be drawn to them. He wanted them to be taught to his heart, as we're going to see in just a second. So so we need God to teach us his word. We need to see it. We need to know what it says. Just at the most basic level, in order for us to do God's will, we've got to know what it is. But that's part of the problem, right? Because we get to God's word, and it's confusing. There's so much of it. It's so complex. We feel lost. These are all things that I've heard people tell me about what happens when they're like, all right, I need to read the word of God. And they jump in. And then they're like, it's like that person who's the kid who's like, I think I'm ready for the deep end. Uh, And they jump in. And then like three seconds later, you just hear them go, you know, like that sort of like breaching whale moment for that child. That's what we're like. We're like, I, okay, so God's will is in his word. And we like lay that big family King James edition Bible down on our table. And we're like, here we go. And we flip her open. And then we're like, what in the world am I supposed to do with all that? How in the world are you and I going to even know what to do? It's like when you start reading an instruction manual and you're totally lost. Like, this is supposed to instruct me in some way, but I don't know what it's saying. I mean, can, can you really say that that, that that Japanese company with its bad English translation uh, is really equipping you to set up your TV just because it's given you instructions uh, that may or may not make sense? Well, the, the Bible says that God doesn't just give us his word. He doesn't just teach us what he says. He helps us to see what's in there. So the, one of the great things about how God equips us is he doesn't just give us the word and then step back. He helps us to understand what we see. So the second thing we're going to see, not only does God teach us, God opens our eyes. God opens our eyes to what we see. And again, the idea behind that is not like we're trying to read it like this, like we're stupid. And then, I, man, I'm just not really getting a lot out of my Bible. Uh, I wonder why. And God's like, open your eyes. Oh, I didn't try it that way. Uh, what, what does it mean? He says here, so, so look, look at uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. He says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. God needs us to not just see the word, but to see the wondrous things in that word to see the bible for what it is we we we, we don't just need to be aware of god's will 
We need God to open our eyes to the wonders found in the will of God. The beauty of God's will in our life. The wonderfulness of this is how my God tells me to live. It would be wonderful for me to do that. This is a joy. What he needs, God needs to show us the pearl that is found in this field. He needs us to see the treasure found in the word of God. That's what he needs us to see. And God is opening our eyes. So God is teaching us his word. How does God help us to start doing his will? When he teaches it to us, then as we're reading it, he's opening our, opening our eyes to see the, the wonders of it. But again, the teaching of his word is about more than just showing it to us. When the, when the psalmist asks for God to teach it to him, he's asking God for ta- to take these truths and put them deep in his heart. We sometimes talk about the difference between like, a, like head knowledge and heart knowledge, right? Like I know it and you've got people who can, you know, quote a lot of Bible, but you look at their life and you go, I don't really know that's a godly way to live, but you know all of the scriptures. Uh, so, so what does it mean? We've got to take the, the head knowledge and get it in the heart. So that's why the Bible says, not only does God open our eyes so that we can see these wonderful things, he then grows our hearts so that we want to do the wonderful things that we've seen. So God gives us his word. How is God going to have us to do his will? How is he going to advance his will in our life? God is going to show you in his word what his will is. God is going to open your eyes so that you might see this wonder of God's will for you. And then he is going to grow your heart so that you want to do it. And even more than want to do it, as we're going to see here in Psalm 119, verse 32. Look at what he says. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. For you and I to walk in God's word, to to do his will, we don't just need new hearts. We need our new hearts to continually be enlarged. The Christian heart is always growing. So God doesn't just, as Christians, God doesn't just give us new hearts and then leave those, you know, infantile hearts just sort of crawl around for the next however many years. God is also continually enlarging our hearts, causing us To love him, yes, from that very first stage. But then as we grow as Christians, causing us to love him more. Causing us to to not just walk, but to what does the psalmist say? I will run in your commandments, right? We're just wanting to walk in his word. And and if God enlarges our hearts, you're not just going to walk in God's will. You're going to run in it. Causing us to do all of it. God grows our, this is why, this is, this is when people ask, and this, is, this, this is sometimes a problem for us as Christians, because God so grows our love for him that we look back at our previous life and we go, was I even really a Christian back then? Uh, and it's so, I mean, I don't know how many people have been like, well, when I look at my, you know, when I was, you know, 13, I'd made a profession of faith, but now I look at my life and I go, golly, I don't even know about that kid. Well, what has happened? It's not that this wasn't genuine. Is that your heart has grown. Is that God has enlarged your heart to where back here, this little Grinch level heart that you had was three sizes too small, but you were a baby, right? He didn't want to give you some sort of weird myocarditis. I don't know why I know that word, but didn't want to give you some sort of weird enlarged heart as a child. 
So God enlarges. It's just a natural progression of the Christian life. This is why when older people come to me and they say, hey, I don't think I really understood my baptism. Should I get baptized again? And I'm like, no, because you know what's going to happen? In three years, you're going to look back. If you grow as a Christian, in three years, you're going to look back at today and go, I don't think I understood my baptism. Uh, you know why? Because you're understanding the gospel more. And you're, God's going to grow your heart. You're like, I don't think I loved him then. I think I need to do it again now. And I don't, can I, can I even take the Lord's Supper? Because, you know, like all this stuff. Look, God is just in law, constantly enlarging our hearts for what purpose? So that we might do his will. Causing us to love him more. That's what God does for the Christian. He enlarges our hearts so that eventually we don't just walk in his commandments. We run in them. And no one, no one looks back at a toddler, a toddler that is toddling around by definition and says, you call that walking? Uh, Brian Barnes might do that, but in no one else, no one else would do that. Uh, but what? What do we recognize? That's what a toddler does. But as they are enlarged, they will go from toddling to walking to running. And in the Christian life, God does the same thing to you. God is going to grow you to you're not just walking in his commandments till you're running in them to where you see what God's will for you is. And you don't say, all right, let's check this out. Just sort of mosey through it. Like God says, here's his will. And that reading of God's will is like the starter pistol going off. And you know, because you've seen the wonder of God's will in his word. You've seen it in your life. And when God says, this is my will, bam, you do it. Because God has enlarged your heart to cause you to run in his commandments. That's what God's going to do in us. That's what God is doing in his people. Enlarging hearts. And if, if, if you go, I want to be someone who runs. I feel like I'm still toddling or I feel like I'm walking and maybe I've gotten satisfied with just walking and I want to run in his commandments. Well, then pray. Just like the psalmist did here. I'll run in your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So pray God, enlarge my heart. You know what you're praying when you pray God, enlarge my heart? You're praying God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what God does for you. He teaches us. He opens our eyes to cause us to, to, to see it. He grows our hearts so that we love him to the point that we're running in the doing of his commandments. And a Christian, that's where I want you to be. I don't want you to just be satisfied. Now, we can get into the discussion of 1 John. You want to walk in his word. But when we're talking about, like, like you looking at your obedience to the word of God, I want you to be someone who runs into God's word instead of being someone who, it, it's, I don't know if any of you have ever had teenage children, but they're the worst. Uh, and both of the teenage boys in the back just looked up. Because you know what they like to do? When you, and I was a teenage boy at one time, so I can talk about this uh, and not be judgy. Uh, you know what you like to do? You tell them what to do, and it is as if they have become Aristotle all of a sudden, or Plato, and they say, perchance why, Father, should I do such thing? Let me give you the reasons that I might or might not consider such, you know, a request worthy of my obedience. And you're like, just do it. Uh, right? Like, I'm just telling you to do it. As Christians, though, we are so many times like teenage children. Because we read it in God's word and we pause. And we go, huh, what would that look like if I obeyed? How's that going to affect my time? How's it going to affect my finances? How's it going to affect my 
relationship with other people? How's it going to affect my, you know, whatever? And we will sort of debate in our own heads. And then if God has convinced us, then we might walk in it. Try this out. See if this obedience fits me or not. And if it does, then we might keep walking. If not, we might decide, let's scrap that. You know, reading the Bible was too hard. Uh, And go back to doing whatever it is. Uh, When can we become people who, when God says, this is my will, we need to be people, when we read God's word, we don't stop to debate it. We run to obey it. So we need to pray, God, enlarge our hearts. So that's what we should be looking for. That's what God is going to do in us. The end goal of your Christian life is not just to be someone walking in God's word. The end goal should be someone who is running in the will of God until you run into eternity. And so we're all just running for forever, like just running in his will. So set that as your goal, Christian. Be someone who runs in the will of God. I'm happy if you're walking in it. Trust me, I'm happy if you're walking in it. But if in four or five more years, you're still just walking in it, then you need to pray, God, enlarge my heart so that I run in, in these things. But, but not, okay, so that's how God guides us into his will. But not all of God's guidance into his will is positive. It's not all positive. Because not only does God equip us and sort of lead us into the right, God is also helping us to do his will by leading us away from the wrong. God protects us from error. So that's the next thing. So how does God, uh, how does God equip us to do his will? Uh, he protects us from things that are not his will. Psalm 119.29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. So part of God teaching his word is getting the, the false stuff out of our field of vision. Get it away from my eyes. Pull it from my heart. Like rip it up. Rip the weeds up, God. And so if God's going to equip us to do his will, God, God has to do the pruning aspect as well. Sometimes protecting us from things we don't need to see and protecting us from things that are not his will. And, and sometimes that means ripping them up root and all. And so, so Christian, like you need to be praying, God, God, get the false far away from me. If there are things in your life that are not God's will for you to do, you need to pray for God to prune those things out of your life. Because by doing that, he's really protecting you. This is one of the reasons we run in God's will, because it's protection. But what if we've already gotten into error? What if, what if, what if, what does God do if we're already living in rebellion to him? So here's the second. So, so part of the negative thing that God does, positive, he leads us into all good. Negative, he protects us from the bad, keeps it away from us. But what if we've already gotten into the bad? Well, God doesn't just leave us. What if we're living as, even as believers, what if we're living in rebellion to God's will? And Christian, recognize that. If, if there's a part of God's will that he's told you, this is how I want you to live as a husband or a father, friend, church member, or whatever, and you're not, you're, you're rebelling against his will. No different than, than Adam and Eve who took the fruit, or no different than the Tower of Babylon who wanted to do what they wanted to do for their glory. You're doing the exact same thing. Uh, so what does God do when we as his children do that? Well, God afflicts us. So that's the next thing. He'll protect you. But then uh, there are times when God afflicts us to drive us back 
to his will. So God will protect us from error, but if we're already in error, he will afflict us to drive us away from it. Psalm 119 verse 67 and then verse 71 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The implication is it was the affliction. So I was astray and it was the affliction that you brought into my life that caused me to now keep your word. Verse 71, that's why he says it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. One of the kindest things God can do for us when we are rebelling against his will is to afflict us. And that that word affliction is literally in the Hebrew, bring us low. Why, Why is it bring us low? Because to reject God's will is ultimately a matter of pride in your heart. It it is you saying that you know how to live your life better than God does. That you seeing what God says to do and you go, no, I don't think that would be good for me. I think this would be better for me. I think obeying God would not give me as good of a life as me doing what I want to do. And we need to be brought low when we do that. God needs to afflict us. But Christian, that affliction is never pleasant. The outcome may be pleasant in that you are now walking. It may be good for you that you are afflicted so that you might learn to do the statutes. The whipping is good. The outcome of the whipping is good, but the whipping itself is not enjoyable. As Hebrews tells us, it is at that moment painful. Affliction is not good. It is good that God loves us enough to afflict us, but you shouldn't be someone who's like, well... I'll go ahead and do it. And if the Lord gets mad, he'll just afflict me and it'll end up good anyway in the end. Don't be like that. One, that shows a type of heart that you really need to be like, uh, I don't know. This kind of seems like the heart of the, 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 the Jews in the wilderness, right? Uh, hardening their hearts in the day of rebellion. Don't do that. But know that, that if you are not walking in God's will, what will he do? So if you see something in your, so look at your life right now. Are there things that you know, because God has taught you, he's opened your eyes to see them and you know what his will is and you're not doing it. God promises that affliction is coming if you will not obey. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And just like it would be wrong for a parent to not discipline their child because they love them too much to discipline. God says, that's not love. In the same way, God is saying, look, because he loves you, he is going to discipline you if you will not do his will. So Christian, right now, you may look at your life, you make a checklist like, oh, I got this, this, this. Because think of the affliction that God could and promises he will bring upon you if you will not obey. Because so when you pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you better understand what you're praying and what you're asking God to do, not just in the world, but in your heart, in your marriage, in your parenting. God will even use others to help us to accomplish his will. God God will use others to equip us to do his will. God equips us to do his will and he uses the wisdom of others. Psalm 119 verse 79. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. Now here the psalmist is is saying something that a lot of modern Christians would probably say was pretty arrogant, right? You know, God, 
let more people look at me, right? So they may know your word. But he's not saying anything crazy. He's saying actually what he should say. He's, he's going to tell, this is, this is what, this is, for example, what Paul's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14 specifically. That, that, that you and we are used by God to help one another to live his will. And this is why the idea of solo Christianity is so contrary to God's word. The idea that people can just sort of come and they may or may not do church stuff or like that you can say that you're just outside God's will. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, you need to obey or affliction's going to come. Why? Because solo Christianity is not a thing. One of the many reasons that those who, who, who think they can do the Christian life without other Christians, that just shows they probably haven't read much Bible. You can't read your Bible and go, I think we're meant to do this alone. And I think it's really just about my relationship with the Lord. I go, well, you need to read more of what your Lord has said. And he's probably going to show you that it's not just about you and your relationship with the Lord. Because we need other Christians to know God's word. God uses, you know that God intends to teach you his word through the knowledge he gives to your brothers and sisters? That God is, is, is growing the knowledge of the people in the other pews for your sake. And God is growing your knowledge, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the other people in these other pews. We're not just, we're not just these old, our own little sort of banks of Christianity and God's you know, growing some of us at an interest rate higher than others. Uh, like we are meant... To, to, to grow God's will, to advance God's will. How? By God advancing his will in each of our lives, training others to then know his word. That's why the psalmist can say, let those who fear you turn to me so that they might what? Might know your testimonies. God uses us in each other's lives to equip us to live his will more and more. So as you're learning God's word and learning to love God's word and to obey his word, to walk in his will, I'm going to learn new things. I'm going to learn things about God's will. I'm going to be encouraged to obey because you've been encouraged to obey. I'm going to see the blessings of walking in God's will because I'll see you walking in God's will and all the blessings that have come to your life. So when you're obeying God and we're talking about these things and I'm seeing these things in your life, what's that going to encourage me to do? Walk in God's will. I'm going to see you, I'm going to see you running in God's will and I'm going to want to put on my track shoes. Like I'm going to want to run with you. When you say, when you've been walking in God's will and you've got, you know, I don't know if you've ever, you know, you go out on the track, maybe this is just a guy thing, but you got on the track, like, I'm going to walk a couple laps and someone else gets on the track and they're like, and they start running and you're like, I can run too, you know, and you start, hope you don't run with arms like that. I don't know. It just seemed appropriate. Maybe you should stop. Maybe you shouldn't run if you're running like that. But, but that just that someone else running, what does that make you do? I'm going to run too. I'm going to run with them. Uh, And then, you know, maybe. 100 meters down, you're like, I I think I'm going to have to walk for a little bit. But it's encouraging. And the same thing's true in the Christian life. When, when, are you someone that can say, are you someone that can say, let others look at my life because if they do, they will learn your word. If you can't say that about your life, if you are someone who has to say, I hope no one knows who I really am. 
Because if they saw how I lived outside of the church, if they saw how I lived in my heart, if they knew the things that I knew I was supposed to do and not doing, or if they knew the things that I knew I was supposed to do or not supposed to do and am doing, if they knew that, it would discourage them. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that can say, let others look at my life, because if they do, they will learn more about you and your word. That's one of the ways God advances his will among his people. One of the, the, the greatest lies the devil can teach us is that God's will is unknowable. Because if his will is unknowable, then it's undoable. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God's will can be done by his people. And that as the gospel advances, more of his people will do his will more and more. Until one day, there is not a knee that will not bow to the king. There will be a day where creature and creation unite in celebration that God's will is done by everyone and everything. But in the meantime, we pray. We pray that God's will would increasingly be done by his creatures. And we know that God answers that prayer. He answers it by equipping his people to do his will. He equips us. He establishes us in every work and word. He gives us everything we need for life and for Godwardness. Let's pray. All right, we've, we've looked today at the grand idea of the advancement of God's will to where everyone and everything is doing his will. And it is good, it is good to look outward and see this fallen world and yearn to groan. We're supposed to groan. Romans 8 says we're supposed to groan. Second Peter says we're supposed to long for this day where God's promise is kept of a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It is good to long for that. It is good to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and to see and yearn for the advancement of that. But don't just look out there. And don't just look for signs of that progress to be done out there. Look at your own life. How is God going to do this? He's going to equip his people to do his word through the gospel. The advancement of God's will is an advancement that always happens through the spread of the gospel. And so Christian, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but but fix your eyes inward and see, well, where in my life is God doing that right now? Where, what has he taught me? What has he opened my eyes to see in his word? This is what you're supposed to do. What wonder has he shown? Think of the great grace of God. 
to teach you, not just to give you his word, but to show you, to show you. Are you obeying what you've seen there? If not, then pray that God would enlarge your heart so that you would run in his commandments. Pray that if there's any error that keeps you, keeps you from obeying, that that he would protect you from that error. That you would not believe the lies that the world is laying out there about where happiness comes from or joy comes from, that you'd be protected from those lies. And know that joy is going to come from obedience to him. And if there's anything in your life, you know you're disobeying. Pray that you would obey today before affliction comes. And pray that we would be doing this so much. Pray that you would be so obedient to the will of God. That would be so advancing in your heart through Christ. That others could look at your life. And learn more about God and his will. That you would be so obedient that it would not be some super secret obedience. But that people would see you running. Running. And they would want to run too. May we all run together. May we run to Christ and in him find everything we need for life and Godwardness. It's there. Let's get to running. Father, I, I do come to you and God, we want, we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray, Father, that is not empty words from us. Because if we meant that, Father, then we'd see the areas in our lives that you've already revealed to us. Instead of waiting for you to reveal your will to some far-off country and some far-off people and yearning that they would get these, these new, like seeing what you, you have already begun to do that in us. And so that, that we would pray that and then be obedient to what you've already laid in front of us. That, Father, we would see your will and do it. Knowing that that is part of the answering of that prayer. That that is the meat of the gospel at work in our lives. Because as we do it, then our hearts continue to grow. We run in it. And then you use us to encourage other people to look at your word and learn. Because they see the blessing that comes in obedience. They see the joy of the Christian life. So, Father, help us to be a people like that. Help us to run, Father, that we might all be running together, running in obedience to your will, running until the day that you give us rest. Father, we ask that in great in great hope and in great confidence because you're the one who promises that you will establish us through Christ in every good work and word. And so we pray this in confidence, Father. 
because you've proven it already to us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.